for me and then it took a long time for me to get over to understand and then to accept the reality we are living in different countries it was a big challenge for us to accept we are living in different countries and we are not going to back to El Salvador anymore hello my name is Barney and welcome to moments of clarity Today I am speaking to Rudy Alvarez. Rudy is a language teacher at a primary school in Perth and father of three daughters. I was absolutely thrilled to have the chance to speak to Rudy. In today's conversation, we speak about growing up in El Salvador during the Civil War, his role as a teacher and union member in the fight against oppression, losing parents at a young age, using education and love as an antidote to violence, moving to Australia and coming to terms with a new life as a migrant, being a father and a teacher, as well as spirituality and well-being. Rudy is an inspiring individual who speaks three languages, Spanish, Italian and English. As such, he has quite a strong accent, which combined with the ordinary quality of our Zoom connection can make some areas of the podcast difficult to hear. I assure you the insights on offer from Rudy are well worth the extra effort. I feel privileged to hear some of Rudy's life story and I'm excited to share it with you. So without further delay, I bring you Rudy Alvarez. Hello, Rudy. Welcome to Moments of Clarity. Oh, hi. Hi, Bernie. How are you today? Yeah, I'm really, really well. How are you going? Uh, good. Thank you. Um, thank you for having me today. So it's going to be a good uh, talk with you. And then uh, nice to see you even through the computer, you know, the virtual com- conversation. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you had many of these conversations with the coronavirus happening or have you found that you've been able to do some things that you might have not been able to in the past because of being busy and all of that? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. Because I mean, catching up with so many things, you know, my house is a, is a, got a big backyard and then doing a lot of things, painting, cleaning up gutters, all that sort of stuff, and looking, the, looking after the, my cars. So absolutely very, very busy, you know, I don't have any chance. So my days look like very short, you know, since I got up by 7.30 and then I try getting my breakfast and going back and forth, looking for some tool doing this work by five o'clock because it's getting dark very early today. So I say, oh, my time is gone. Oh, for sure. So Rudy, I'd love you to introduce yourself uh, a little bit about you, what you do and how long you've been in Australia. You're living in Perth at the moment. So where you grew up, your journey to get to Australia and, and what you've been doing just in general terms to start off with since you've been in Australia and what you're doing now. Yeah. First, uh, my name is Rudy. Um, I came to Australia 29 years ago from El Salvador. El Salvador is the smallest country in Latin American countries. So it's very close because some people, when they say, where are you coming from? I came from America. And they say, ah, USA. No, sorry, that's not USA. It's America, the whole continent. USA says USA, but we are El Salvador. And then I came with my family, Two daughters, Natalie and Lynette, and my wife and me. 
And since then, we have been here um, doing a lot of things and challenged my life, you know, and challenged the lives as well in, as a family because it was a lot of things to do. And then the special thing was the language, you know, the um, language because the language was a very shock for us and knowing different people, different culture, different food, a different style, style of life, you know. So, but anyway, and the, the time goes, went by, you know, we tried to settle down. So then so we are here, you know, from El Salvador. And well, my rest of my life is here, you know. When I left El Salvador, I was 34 years old, you know. Now it's getting to 60 years old. So this is a long way with my family, you know. I'm very happy. Honestly, I tell you, I'm very happy to live here in Australia. I think the destiny was very kind without, you know, bringing us in a different country with a lot of things to do here, you know. And when you came to Australia, did you go straight to Perth? Oh, good question, you know. So the first thing, we've, we made one, two, three flights. The first flight was from El Salvador to Los Angeles. Angeles to Sydney and Sydney to Perth. Very interesting thing because before I leave El Salvador, I was told to we are going to Sydney or Brisbane. But I was very happy to say, oh, Sydney or Brisbane is going to be okay because I have a lot of information in both cities, you know, in both cities. And then suddenly I had no idea. I didn't ask. I didn't hear anything. But all of a sudden, they sent us to Perth. Well, at the end, no complaint. I said, thank you. That's it. Doesn't matter. Whatever I want, where I am now, it doesn't matter. The best thing is we left El Salvador. Wow. So how did you actually come across who was in control of where you ended up and, and, and why? Why did you leave El Salvador? Well, this is a good question. Why? So um, those days, 30 years ago, or more than 30 years ago, El Salvador was involved in a civil war. In a civil war that was very hard to live in those days. There was an opportunity from Australia to bring people who live in very uh, conflict countries. El Salvador was one of those. And then someone asked me, said, do you want to leave El Salvador? I said, why not? And then I said, you may go this way and go this way and apply. And that's it. So my surprise was when I applied to come to Australia and apply one day and then after three days, I was called that I'm going to leave El Salvador the following week. I was thinking, you know, oh, how fast was this? Probably it was my, because it was my situation. Because when I was in El Salvador, I was a school teacher. And then as a school teacher, I was involved in different unions. And then we had some problems with persecutions. And most of the teachers in those days, they were, well, I don't want to say this word, but it's a little bit hard work, disappearing or killed, you know, by the government in those days. So that's the, what the, one of the reasons. So, and then behind my situations, we suffered a lot of persecution before. Because when I was with my mom and my family, you know, I was 18 years old. I left, I remember I left the high school in those days. So there was very, very hard situation. The conflict, it was involved, very serious. 
very hard situation because I lost my parents when I was 18 years old. Plus, I decided to continue to live there. And then when I had my family, so the situation wasn't tried. To, it was very hard. And then I have enough. I say myself, we have enough. Some people help me to live. And then, and that's it, you know. So the reason behind this was political problem. That's the reason, yeah, the main reason, political problem. So when you said that you applied to leave, that wouldn't have been through the government, would it? It would have had to have been through other channels because would you have been allowed to leave had they have known? Oh, they, they in those, tell you, in those days was a program, Australian programs for El Salvador, specifically for El Salvador. Most of the Salvadorians that were living in very hard situations, especially with the civil war, and they have chance to apply to El, because we don't have embassy, uh, Australian embassy in El Salvador. We have a consul, and then we went to the main office, and they were in the office, they, they follow when you know the paper words, and then send it to Mexico, Mexico, and then send them back again, and that's it, you know. But it was, believe me or not, when I tried to, when I applied for the first time, it was a long, long queue, more or less, I telling you, just to have an idea, probably 200 meters long. So people apply, you know, we were very lucky. We're very lucky, is what I say, because one day and the following week, we already left El Salvador. And some of them, some of the family that apply, I one year waiting for one year, two years, and they never get any answer, you know. But in my case, it was very lucky, yeah. I want to go back. I'm so sorry to hear that you lost your parents at 18. That would have been extremely difficult. Any age is difficult, but let alone when you're still young. And the fact is that you're a teacher and and part of unions, but were you involved or or had involvement that made you more of a a risk staying? And, And were your family affected directly, obviously, from the Civil War. So was that how they ended up losing their lives? Was it in the conflict itself? Yes, the, the two arguments, you know, that I had with me was the first one was my family, my parents, and the second one with the teaching, you know, as a teacher. So the teacher was involved in the union. So in the union, in those days, we were struggling, you know, to get a more good pay salary, you know, so we used to do it demonstrations against the government, uh, good salary, good uh, work conditioning, see, stuff like that, you know. And then uh, in those days was like a saying, a thing to protest against the, against the government. So that's what the second argument. So the both argument, you know. So they were valid from the Australian embassy and then they way you know the situation and then i have the 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 opportunity to come to australia is there a big el salvadorian community in perth or in australia or is it was it quite rare for people to come to australia in this program oh it was a big community you know but the one the situation in el salvador they they were three countries in those days they are they offer Helps to El Salvador to Salvadorian. The first country was Australia. The second was Canada, and the second one was Sweden. Sweden, yeah. And say so Salvadorian have the opportunity to go wherever they wanted to apply. You know, 
So, and or to be honest, and apply to Canada because I thought, oh, Canada is very close to El Salvador. Is that one day I want to come back? I'll be here, you know. But then my you know application was refused by the uh, Canadian embassy, and then the second one was Australia. Then Australia, without hesitations, I'm here. You know? <laughs> it's okay. like a dream for me, you know. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, of course. So where did you grow up? Was it in San Salvador, the capital city, or was it in a village or town? Where did you grow up in El Salvador? Uh, Just a good question. Uh, Well, my first, when I was four years old, my mom or my dad decided to send me to the the town. It's a little town. It's called like a pueblo. Pueblo is a typical word in, in Spanish to say a little town far away from the city. And then I used to live there with my grandma up there. And my dad wanted me to live with her just to send her to school. And my, ma, my grandma didn't have time to go to the store to buy things. So I helping her, you know. So then when I was 10 years old, my dad decided to bring me back to San Salvador, the city, because my grandma, she wasn't very good in those days. Her health was getting worse, and suddenly she passed away. And then I didn't have anyone to live there in the, the little town, so I come back to San Salvador, which is the city. And then I lived there for the rest of my life till everything finished, you know, or gone, yeah. From from there, where did you decide to be a teacher? How was the journey in being a teacher occur? Did you always want to be it? Did you was it a good stable job? What made you want to do it? Okay. Oh yeah, that's good. You know, uh, well, the decision was when I was uh, leaving the um, high school. I didn't have any job. I didn't have any anything to live with. You know, because as soon when my parent disappears. And no one helping us. And I have three brothers behind me. My little one was seven years old in those days. So I tried to support them. And then I found a, a job. You know, it wasn't good salary, the job. But to start to live, you know, and having something, house and then food, it was good, you know. Then I make a decision, you know, I, wanna, I don't want to live as I am now. So I would like to do something more. I would have to challenge myself. And then I went to the uni. You know, I decided to enroll in the uni. I started to become a teacher. Because since I was a child, you know, this was my idea all the time to become a teacher. So I decided to go there. And then it was it's good because in those days, I met my wife. Ah. In the university too, you know, so we have pretty good friends and then family and then here. <laughs> oh, beautiful, beautiful. How many siblings did you have? So we, I have um, one sister and then my family was big family. We, we were 10, including me, we were 10 in my big family. 10. 10 children? Nine, 10 children, nine boys. And one girl. Wow. And was the was the girl the youngest? Were they kept trying no. until they got a girl? <laughs> no. <laughs> I was the fourth one, you know. I was the fourth one. My sister, my sister, the, the only one, she's, I think, 10 years younger than me, you know. Yes. And then the rest of them, so they're boys, boys, boys. So that <laughs> was a big, 
We were a big, big family, honestly, big family. And when you got moved to your grandmother's in the in the country, did or in the town, did any of your siblings go with you, or was it just you? No, just me and another brother and me. Both of them, you know, the lonely little one. I think, uh, so far, I still remember. Probably, my dad made a decision because. In those days, we were living in a very small house. Uh, probably were too many in the house. Yeah. I think my dad, I never asked my dad, you know, but I think my dad made a decision to sending us, you know, with my grandma to empty a little bit, you know, the house in those days, you know. But uh, yes, only my brother and my little, one of my little brothers and me and the rest of my family, they were living with my mom and dad. You were, uh, I guess, sent with your brother away to make some room in the house. At this point in time, I would love to unpack your yeah, time in El Salvador and also the political situation. So was there an authoritarian regime that had basically taken over El Salvador at some point? What Was there a, a year that you could give us a bit of a history lesson on how the politics shifted or was it always in, in civil war? Um, just to get back to a little bit of history, you know, with not only El Salvador, uh, with all Latin American countries from Mexico to Argentina, you know, politically had been uh, ruled by military governments. So the military government had been there, and El Salvador was one of those, and the military government has ruled El Salvador for 40 years. 40 years ruled El Salvador with giving to Salvadorian nothing at all, just rules and doing whatever they wanted. And then people are there, you know, start to organize themselves under the new groups called Communist Party, you know. And so the Communist Party involved there by telling us, you know, away the situation, we can continue with this one. So that, that was the, the situation of 40 years and then try to get rid of these situations. And then, because Salvador has a pretty good history, after the 40 years, the government was, the military government was becoming another civil government. But everybody in those days was expecting, you know, to have a good time or probably to rule El Salvador in a different way. But they were the same things. This is, this is very interesting because at the same time, when El Salvador tried to go continue with these situations, people, in another hand, tried to organize themselves, a group of fighting group, you know, it was a fighting group. And then the fighting group, they, most of them, they live in the mountain in El Salvador and using weapons, um, fighting against military government that they were rules a little bit in those days. And yeah, this was a very, very hard conflict in El Salvador. After that, well, there was an agreement between the military government and the, the civil people, you know, the people who were commanded then, and was called FMLN, which means FMLN, which is in Spanish, Frente Farabundo Martí para la Liberación Nacional, which is National Liberation Farabundo Martí. So this is the word, the one group. And this group with the military government, they make a peace. And then the peace was signed up in Mexico, in Puebla, 
was in 1990. But after that, they were coming another problem because the commitment that FMLN had with, the, with people, they didn't do anything, just go into the government and try to be corrupt themselves, you know. And then on those days, there was another national party and the FM and the left, we would say the left and the right party, and they make another deal together and they, they try to rule for 30 years El Salvador, another extra 30 years. It was still last year when another party with different views, with different philosophy, it's called New Ideas Party. And then they try to, to do the, the right things and then to stop the corruption in El Salvador. So this is more or less the history of El Salvador. 40 years with the military government, plus civil war, plus another extra 30 years with the right wing and the left wing ruled together, and then stopped last year, and then we have a new government, which everybody is very, very happy so far. But still, there are a lot of things to do, because it's not so easy. You know, it's not so easy, but still a lot of things to do. A long history, and it's, it's right in the middle of it with the New Ideas Party, as you say. Just yes. being, uh, was that a, a th- through a free democratic elections that, that have begun? Oh yes, it was a democratic elections, um, but some of the right wing, you know, they always try to do, you know, something wrong just to get, you know, or don't lead the government, you know. But at the end, everything was fair. Uh, they won. I guess, as you said, from Mexico all the way to Argentina, there's been, it's extremely um, active politically. There was the end of colonialism and then into independence, but then into, as you said, some military dictatorships or military governments, uh, corruption. So then I guess was it through the, the 50s, basically after World War II, was the time where communism started exactly. to, to be spread around in Latin America and obviously the, the famous cases in Cuba where it actually Cuba, was, it was entrenched yeah. and um, yeah. turned into a dictatorship of another sort. But the thing was that yeah. communism was this idea for, as you said, you were part of the union for teachers, the idea that workers and people should have rights and representation and access to what is deserved through having the, the material that comes out of the labour should be yeah. spread and, and amongst people, whereas it was being concentrated with the wealthy. And the fact is in all these countries, as, as you would know, and I'd love you to explain a bit more, but the US and, and other places had really taken control of all the resources and giving payments to the military or the, the governments that are propped up to support these corporations in a way, these, these free market ideals, yeah. they weren't great for the people. So... When did you realise, or, or you became a teacher, did you be also become active in political ideals such as communism or something something else? Did you Were you active and, and in, engaged in wanting change in that manner or were you just more of a teacher that looked at every side and just wanted what was best for El Salvador? What was your motive and what was your process for trying to, to get through it? Oh, yeah. Uh, the another situation, as I explained, is I see El Salvador as a, just a little bit this one. Is I see El Salvador as a history, you know, with all the situations, 
can be isolated, you know, political, not isolated, because we have to see the situations, who is behind of these, all the things, and then USA, because we have a USA there, and so the USA is the one who, that, who made the comment to saying we are going to help this government, we are going to help that government, we are going to help these people, we are not going to help these people, and then giving at all American countries a different policy, you know, how to do this, how to do this one. So in one part, we blame to the USA policy, just one part. The other part is Salvadorians who are very servants, you know, with the USA policy. That is one thing. And so the other thing, the other thing in the situation is in those days, Cuba was one of the examples of the revolutions. So that I think, in my point of view, is they bring all the philosophy, what is revolution, into El Salvador. And then there was a lot of commitment from all the teachers in the schools, in the university. And then the philosophy in the university is teaching whatever specialization is, but at the same time, give all the students this politic, uh, a politics view what the situation in El Salvador was happening those days. So I think most of the contribution was from university and teachers because they were very, very strong union on those days. And then this make a big voice. And then the big boys start to you know to dig in into the mentality or try to be aware all the Salvadorian what really happened to us. So that was very interesting thing, you know, because university was one of those you not know, to aware us, you know, the situation. I know that a lot of the intellectuals in um, Intellect, yeah. usually end up the ones being well disappearing or. or you know, being murdered or, or jailed or imprisoned or exiled because I guess they are the usually the start, the spark of, of revolution or change because they can use their ideas to spread ideas through yes. uh, yeah. the, the mass population. So, exactly, you know, places yeah. like Cambodia, mass oh, yeah. killings, you know, genocide basically oh, of yeah. people based on that. And was so did a similar thing in these disappearances in, in El Salvador, maybe not to the same scale, but... Were these disappearances happening without discretion towards anyone that was, I guess, an intellectual? Or was it if they found that you were guilty of actually inciting ideas that were against the government? How did it work? Was it blatantly just anyone that was a teacher or enrolled in a university that they, they could get their hands on? Or was it was there trials and things like that that you were inciting revolution or something if you were to disappear or to be imprisoned? So El Salvador, in those days, as a Salvadorian, you know, we have the, to say, the cat, you know, to go ahead, to change, even whatever happened, you know, whatever is going to be the results. I saw so many students, I saw friends to disappear, they were killed, even though with these situations, we still have the willing, you know, to transform, to do the thing different, not only for us. The, the only one was for the new generations coming through, you know. So we were thinking those days as a teacher, you know, what is going to be in the future for our family? Because I was thinking, you know, to live there in El Salvador for the rest of my life. 
So what is going to be for my family in the future? This is no future here. We have to do something, you know. Everybody risk, you know, in those days, you know, to transform itself. But it doesn't matter the consequence. So it's for me, in my case, I didn't think, you know, is it going to disappear or no? Is it going to leave my family or no? But I'm going to do it in that time, in the right time, to do the difference. That is for me and my friend, you know, we have to do the difference. And some of them, my friend, they have the opportunity to leave El Salvador and they used to say, no, we are not going to leave El Salvador. We're not going to stay here because it is our country. We're going to defend our country. We're going to stop this situation. We have the weapon here, which is the individuality, you know, weapon and transfer because we didn't have anything. Just to let the people be aware and then make a big confront El Salvador. And that's the way, you know. So it's very hard, you know, to say this situation, but it's part of the nature, you know. It's, it's like a, we need to transform our country, you know. We need to do something unexplicable for me, you know. But in those days, it was something inside, you know. It's, that's the way, you know. Yeah, I guess when you when you love a place and you live in a place and you want that to, to be better, I guess the idea is uh, yeah. that for you personally, in many cases, you know, you get your wage, you raise your family and that's it. You don't speak up. Yeah, that would be, I mean, it's it's a, you cannot say to someone uh, you're bad for doing that, but in a way it's thinking about just you and, and the people you love. But a lot of people that end up in, in teaching or in, in those more humanities sort of subjects, you know, looking at the past, looking at the future, understanding how a nation was built, that it wasn't this military uh, dictatorship or, or government that deserves to be there, that they actually maybe exploited turmoil or exploited the people. And then eventually it becomes, it's like, well, do we keep this cycle going or do we actually stand up and do something about it, as you, as you said? So it's really empowering to see that people were stepping up knowing that there was danger to them even. Yeah, and that's, exactly. the, that's the hardest part, the danger towards yeah. you. In my case, in particular, in my case, beside my decisions, if you remember what I said at the beginning, you know, when I introduced myself, I lost my parents, you know. So as I was a young man, I, I lost my parents. And still, you know, I recall, you know, more than 40 years has already gone. And I still, if you're asking me, you know, try to recall those days, I still, like, uh, it happened yesterday in my mind. So that is something I can't get rid, you know, for the rest of my life, because it really was a very hard situation. And then this is one point, you know, I have um, the problem, bleeding in my heart, you know, what really happened. Plus, when I make a decision to become a teacher, so I found the opportunity, you know, to do what I like it and to help people. That is one part that I didn't say at the beginning was, when I became a teacher, I decided, my wife and me, to running a very small business. It's a, a school, a college. My college that I tried to found it was from year one to year three. We didn't do it for business. We did to help the community. So there was a good opportunity to help the community by bringing into the school people who is very low income and to help them. Because some of the kids, they couldn't afford to go to the national schools, the government school. 
cost so many things and uh, too many students, and there were limited vacancy for the students to be enrolled. And then we decided running this business and then to enroll families with very low income. I'm very happy because we did. We have a good results. We had a good experience. Then when I left the El Salvador, I left the school running. And still now, you know, the school is there, you know, with different owners, but the school is still there, you know. And then I'm very, myself, I feel very proud now myself. I say the school is there. Not what I was my philosophy, but in another way, it's more like now it's business, you know. But in my day, it wasn't a bit of helping the people. I still remember it's just a good experience, you know. One of them, my family, they used to pay us by giving us eggs. You may say eggs, how to pay families with egg, with fruit, or pay with mm, something that they were selling in those days. I didn't mind say, hey, bring me whatever you want, you know. And then that's fine, you know. So I try to not make it free, like I'm making free because. It's very important to let the, the family know that we have to survive to pay the bills, to pay this one. But with amounts of money, we will run in this school and you help. I used to say then, you help. This school is for the community, not for me. I did very happy. I did and I'm still there, you know. Wow, that's amazing. Oh, that's really, yeah. really amazing to, to have that idea and then follow through with it. So when you lost your parents at 18, there could have been a crossroads to become maybe more radical or to become someone that was angry. But instead, yeah, oh. it seems like you, and you probably were that too, but yeah. was there, there was love that started to grow and you decided. How did you decide not to go down the pathway of anger or violence or, you know, pick up those guns and go to the mountains? How did you end up saying, I'm going to go to my village and I'm going to protect and help those less fortunate than me when you're in the middle of turmoil yourself. That's amazing. <laughs> oh, yeah. It is as good, you know. Oh, well, I, I make a decision because I know a person who is in terms of fighting, you know, a fighting persons. I, I was, you know, I thought there's another way to fight. If we don't fight by using weapon, we can fight by doing this community service, in terms of community service, and then... You, try to help people and try to put in my philosophy that we are Salvadorian and we need to help each other. That's the, that's the way. But this is where the connection for me, you know. So helping, 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 we did at the end, you know. So there is no obstacle for me, you know, in doing this one because I was thinking in those days, so this is the best way I can do it. So there is no another way. I don't want to use my hands, you know, being a sinner using my hands by fighting against another person with Salvadoran like me, you know, because like me and who, who know, who, who know the person. No? Mm. Everybody was in, in those days, everybody was in the army because they didn't have chance to have a job. And so teenagers, most of the teenagers, they were in the army, you know, and then... And they say, no, what are I going to do this one against them? That's part of my family. They're Salvadorian. So there is another way to educate people because there is no other way. This is the way it's like, a, well, this is my point of view, it was like an animal, you know, just to being with those teeth and then moving on to another way. Um, 
that the this is one my my decision you know well that's a really profound way to look at it that um, in a civil conflict or even any conflict, because I know in World War One and World War Two, some days oh, yeah. the soldiers would end up looking at each other across the trenches and saying, no, we're the, the workers, we're the same. The same those people it's, that we, we should be yeah. fighting, the people that are sending it's, us to war. You know, the top, the top one, no one, yeah. you know. So, yeah. I like it, you know, very exciting with this, yeah, because you are asking me one day, because I didn't finish my university, and then I was going to head into the university in the afternoon, in the evening, because in the in El Salvador University, for those people who are working, there are two ways: go early in the morning to receive the lectures, or going in during the evening to receive the lecture. You know, so because during the time during the day, you know, so we are very busy at work. When I left the school, I did, I was heading to the university. And then in in the May entry the university, there was a group of military people and soldiers. Check it up. Everybody who was leaving the university, and there was people who was, was getting into the university, you know. So it was a situation like that, you know. But anyway, so when I was heading to university, and then one of the soldiers asked me, stop, stop. I stopped. I asked him, what do you want? Oh, you have to want to check it out your bag, you know, what you have there. I have only books here. Another one who was behind him asked him, leave him alone. Then when I suddenly, I looked back, it was one of the, my students who was with me, and then he become, became a soldier. Oh. And then he, recon, he recognized me, you know, and then he recognized me, but I, I, when I saw him, I said, I was very surprised. And then I asked him, what are you doing here? I said, Mr. Alvarez, I am here because I don't have any job, you know, so this is the only job that I have. Okay, my little friends, take care and be good for the rest of your lives, you know. Oh, don't worry, Mr. Alvarez, so good luck to you too, you know. So this, you know, get a change experience, you know. One of my students who was there, he was stopping, one other one was stopping me, and he was stopping the soldier, asking me not to stop me, you know. <laughs> so well, that's, that's unbelievable. That is unbelievable. And it's the idea, the very idea that you had, that you didn't believe in violence due to the fact that you're only fighting against your people and that the way yeah. to maybe make change is through education and maybe allowing someone to have another chance but the fact is he still ended up in the army the because army, yeah. he had to because that was you know one of the ways probably get a, a one of the only ways to get out of subsistence farming or living you know in exactly. a really poor way but exactly in saying that you know he was able to to help you down the track and show you the care that but hopefully use that to maybe do less harmful things or you know if an order came down to maybe you know ignore some people that he was asked to search, you know, and, and that's the hope that you actually char- start changing the hearts and minds of people. That's the only way to make change because yeah. breeds hate and violence breeds violence. So very, very interesting in that manner. So if you were to go back to El Salvador, would you want to visit your college, your school? Is that where you'd go? Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's a very interesting question. You know, I would like to come back to, to visit then some, and try to be honest, some of them are still alive and some of them are no anymore in this life. So I have a, a month ago, I have a shocking news 
when my one of my boss at the school, he was the principal in the school. He moved on to Canada. He was the first one, and then I moved on to Australia. Well, when the time went by, I lost contact with him. And then one day, my wife and me, we decided tracking down him, you know, in Canada, and then tried to contact some of my friends. The shocking news was someone of my friends said to us, he passed away. He was a very young man. In those days, he was 35 years old. And so we are surprised, you know. And so when I called another friend in Salvador asking for different friends we had in the schools and friends we have in the community where we lived, so most of them, they gone, you know. And a few of them, they're still living there, you know. But anyway, in terms of experience, I would like to come back to visit them, you know. Yes. Before I move on to you coming to Australia and that, and that journey, uh, you met your wife at university. What impact did she have on you? Was she one of these people that mellowed, mellowed you and, and allowed you to have the bravery and, and to share in the starting of a school? Was that your influence, her influence? How did that work? Oh, well, uh, well, to be honest, my wife has been a very quiet lady, you know, all the time, you know. Interesting, because when I was in the university, I met her because one of my friends introduced her to me, you know. And then uh, when introduced to me, then we started to be becoming a good friends. And then we went to university. When I saw her in the university, oh, are you studying here? And she said, yes, I'm studying here. Oh, good on you. That's fine, you know. And then suddenly I start to flirting, flirting her, you know. I invite you to the coffee. Let's go there. And then all of a sudden happened, you know, and then to ending in my wife, you know. <laughs> wow, that's great. So, great. It's interesting, you know. It's a good destiny, you know. Absolutely. How old? So you were 34 when you decided to, or when you were applied and able to leave and get to Australia. Is that right? 34 years old? No, I was, yeah, 30, 33, yeah, 30, 30 years old. 30, 30. Oh, 30. 30, yeah, it was 30. So you've been in Australia for how long? We came in 1991. So, well, one year more and we're going to have 30 years to live here. So it's about halfway now that you've been. Halfway, that's that's what I say. Halfway of my life is here, another halfway there. My past and my present here in Australia. And what was it like when you arrived in Perth and very different landscape, different people, different culture, different everything? Was it you and your wife? Was there anyone else that came with you? Well, no, just my wife, my two daughters, Natalie and Lynette, my, the first two, the last one was, the last one were born here, you know, and the little one, she's is now 28 years old, you know. So but how old was, were the, the, the two girls that you brought over? Uh, Lynette was in those days, I think, she was five years old, and Natalie was three and a half years old. And that would have been an interesting journey as well with two young daughters. Uh, Oh, it's very interesting, you know, because for me, what I said at the beginning was very culture shock, you know, especially with the language. Because in El Salvador, when I was studying in high school, we have uh, English as a second language, but we didn't have a pretty good language teacher, you know. So most of the English there, it was 
just reading, reading, reading. And we didn't pay attention, you know, well, we're going to start English just because we need to pass the test, you know, yeah. and we didn't pass the, the subject. But uh, I knew a little bit, you know, a few words, you know, like saying hi, hello, I like, I don't like, a few words, you know, very isolated words. And then when I came here, it was the first shock. And I say, what's going on here, you know, with a new life, different people, with everything was different for me. And then it took a long time for me to get over to understand and then to accept the reality we are living in different countries. It was a big challenge for us to accept we are living in different countries and we are not going to back to El Salvador anymore. That's what I thought at the beginning. Then I accept the challenge and then one of my challenge is to focus in my family. I was thinking, I don't want to be very selfish myself by pretending to be here and to be in El Salvador. My body is here, but my mentality is in El Salvador. I have to bring my mentality here, not because of me, because of my family. And then my family, my, my two girls, they don't have to, they don't know anything what really happened in my life. So they must continue with the new life here and then do the best. It doesn't matter the language. We're going to study English as a second language, and we're going to study this one, we're going to do this one. And then the first thing was accept the reality. We are living in different countries. And uh, we did at the end, you know. I know that El Salvador has lots of, well, there's Spanish people from, a, I guess, a European background, but most people are in an indigenous culture of, of one description or another. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. We have an indigenous um, language, but it's not part of the curriculum study, you know, in El Salvador. So they now, they now that's good because the new government is taking into account, you know, the study indigenous language, which is good, you know. We, know to, we need to know, you know, the ancient history and PIPIL, which is the first group they arrived in El Salvador, they had the opportunity to, now they have opportunity to study, you know, say another language in El Salvador. But I was studying when I was in the university. This is a good thing because in university used to be a pretty good overseas teachers in those days. We have pretty good Italian teachers, uh, German teachers, Japanese teachers, and different language, you know, I can't remember another language. Then when I was in the junior, I decided to study Italian as a second language in the university. I didn't take any much interest when I went to study because when I wanted to study this one and I have to pass the subject as well. But I learned a lot of things, you know, in Italian. When I came to Australia, I didn't realize there was opportunity to teach second language with education department here. And then one of the requirements was, uh, which language do you know? And then one of those was, I teach Spanish and Italian. And then I had opportunity to, to teach Italian. So I've been teaching Italian more or less for 20 years in Australia. I'm working now in Catholic school, which is 
quite good, you know. Yeah. Wow, as an Italian teacher. An Italian teacher now. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And so uh, no opportunities to, to, to teach Spanish or you really love teaching Italian? Honestly, I really love to teach Italian. I like Spanish. The only problem in Western Australia is the Spanish language. There is no the top priority for education department. So the Italian, French, uh, Chinese, 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 the Chinese are the priority. Spanish is a few schools that are teaching uh, Spanish. But I think the time is coming now. I think Spanish is going to take over step by step, you know, the schools. um, And I am ready, you know, whatever time is coming. But honestly, I love Italian, you know. Well, I'm Italian and I uh, am learning Italian right now because I I was never... My parents didn't really speak much Italian, and if they did, they they used it to to hide things from us um, rather oh. than teach us uh, the language. Yeah. But they also spoke the Sicilian dialect as well. So at school, oh, learning Italian and then one other language at home, it was quite difficult. So just <laughs> phrases here and there and a few words, but the, wanting yeah. to get back to that now. But do you think in Australia that it's a priority because there's so many Italian people or because of its Latin base? I, like, I wonder why Italian, because it's not a, a world language. Spanish is a world language. French is a world yeah, language, yes. English. But why Italian? Do you know the, the background as to why? Is it purely because of the population and the, the migrants, or is it the Latin base? I, I think one of the things is the Latin base. It's mm-hmm. one of the things. The other thing is the community, Italian community, very strong, especially in Western Australia, is very strong. If we go to the Primanto, the Italian community, North Fair, you have a very strong community. Another suburb is Spearwood, but it's more or less there are many shops that are running business for but Italian. I think this is going to be the second way where the Italian language is one of those teaching in Western Australia. But um, in terms of the language, Spanish is more, I think it's got, it's going to have more opportunity in the future because this, the language is going to go ahead, you know, especially in America, Latin American countries and also in Spain. And Spain is doing a lot of things with Australia and good relationships in business. And then they're going to take into account, you know, with the Spanish language. But the another thing is, Depends now the the school, the school because now what happened now in uh, government school is what the uh, the school board want to teach is it going to a different language is up to them. I think depends in the community because if the community is surrounded by um, Asian people. I think there's going to be Asian language, you know, but it doesn't matter which language. If the community decides uh, or the board decides to go with European language, they may choose whatever they want. But for me, I would like to see Spanish, you know, to be, you know, one of the, then expand, you know, the, the language in Western Australia, even, even in another state, you know. Uh, I, have an, I have an idea that another state Spanish is pretty good, you know, but mm. Western Australia is more like 
conservative, you know. So, but I think we are in the right way now to move it on ahead, you know. Western Australia is changing a lot. So, but sooner or later, Spanish is going to be in one of the, in the curriculum list. The relationships you have with your students in Australia, how does it feel to be teaching a language to Australians and, and most of them potentially thinking it's just a subject to pass a test? And, and I'm sure you make it interesting, but Australians think that English and I guess the world makes English the centre of the universe, you know. So is it tough teaching a language to school-age students? Well, um, with the language, especially with the talent, you know, to become a language teacher, uh, the teacher can have, what I, my perspective is, teachers can have the tools to teach everything. But being a language teacher, in my case, is something that you have to, it's not just the teaching, it's something you feel inside, you know. You think the language is the one or the, it's something that's coming part of your being, you know, your being is the language. Well, in my experience as a language teacher, well, was that's a very, uh, sometimes la- laughing at me all the time when they say, hi, Mr. Albert, are you an Italian, uh, are you an Italian, Italian person? No, I don't, I am not an Italian, you know, I am Spanish background, but I am teaching Italian. I say, why? But one of my students say to me, because you are teaching better than Italians, you know, what do you mean? Oh, because the way you teach it's not what Italian teacher does or does sometimes. So for me, teaching Italian is going into the make it kids easy to understand and not expecting them to learn a lot of words, but at least give the basic things, the language, and then attitude to the language, toward the language. And the key, you know, it is, it's something for me, something natural that I have something in my skill, especially because I am teaching from pre-primary to year six. So when I move it on in different stage, seniors, middle, and the juniors, it has to make a different step. Like a teaching in pre-primary is not like a teaching in year sixes. Mm. So different things, and I always bring with me my skills, my special nature inside is making happy the kids all the time, especially for the primary. And honestly, I have had very good feedback from the school. Uh, one of my last school two years ago, and the school decided to teach for the next year uh, Korean. Uh-huh. And then, yeah, Korea, and then they say, Mr. Alvarez, the last word was, you are very good with us, but our decision is to teach another language. But in the future, if we are thinking to come back to the Italian, we, we are not going to hesitate to call you back. So I have a pretty good comments, a good friends, and making good friends, especially with kids. For me, it's something part of my, my nature, you know, teaching the language. It's not just teaching for teaching. It's making it a different way, you know. Yeah. 
For sure. And you mentioned earlier that there's a lot of new migrants and, and new people that are arriving into Australia. Do you look back at your own experience and of change and, and entering a new country and the culture shock when you look at other people and you you, you understand and empathise with these people that are arriving? Do you find that you do that automatically or there's differences that you still see with modern people, the immigrants versus yourself? Oh, yeah. Uh, at the beginning, when I tried to work it out with new migrants, it's a little, it's a little bit hard, you know, to work with them. But as soon as they move it on, you know, with the times, I move it on with different resources, I move it on with different ways to teach that's making it easy. I never have any complaint, you know, especially with my kids and also with my colleagues, you know, my friends all the time supporting me, especially when I was going to a different school, because every year I change school, you know, I move it on to different school. Only this year I stayed two years on the road in this school. I don't think so they're going to move it on anymore. For me, this as a migrant, you know, to teach as a second language is I never had any problem, you know. Well, so far I never had any problem by asking me in different way or what I'm thinking about this or that. So always I'm making things very interesting. Yeah, so in terms of, I guess, your your political opinion, do you always side with the people that are trying to get here, asylum seekers, refugees, migrants? Do you... Do you feel it in your heart that you were in that similar situation once upon a time and you've made a life here and made friends and that you can see that, that you know that that's the, the future for most people, especially in a place like Australia, which is embracing and egalitarian and fair and multicultural, but it's also got an underbelly of racism and, and hatred in, in some areas, maybe not as much as other places, but it still exists here. Yes, it still exists here. Um, to be honest, uh, I feel very disappointed, you know, with the government policy, especially with the refugees, you know. I know we are human beings. We need opportunity, you know, because we don't have a migrant that don't have any choice, you know, to come to stay. There's uh, also conditions they are living now refugee camps is not acceptable, you know, especially in those days, you know, we are living in in different countries like Australia and keeping them, you know, like a, for me, like a being in jail, you know, for a long time. We're expecting any resolutions uh, to be free. That is the one thing. I feel, honestly, I feel very disappointed with the government because everybody has to the opportunity the, to express, you know, as a human being, who knows what is going to happen with some of them that are there, you know. Probably we have a pretty good person, you know, person that are going to be intellectual, you know, be well prepared, you know. That's the one thing. So I always try to be opposite, you know, with the government policy. So I never accept this one, but irresponsibility of the government. So what is going to happen? Because so far we haven't had hear anything, you know, what's happening, especially there and north of Australia. But still we had this problem. The other way is with the racism. We have to be very tolerant in Australia, you know. I can see in the school when I'm dealing 
the last school when I was working was in the government school was some of the key, the girls there was the Islamic background. Uh, we still respect, you know, what they think in the way they are acting, everything. So, yeah, that's a good thing because Western Australia, especially in Australia or Western Australia, uh, they have pretty good policy, you know, against the racism because we're a human being at the end, you know. So my situation as a migrant to come to Australia, I didn't want those days to come to Australia, but the situation was happening in my country, original country, so they made me push out to leave the country. It is probably happened the same people who are in the in there as a migrant, you know, they have a different experience, different things. There is another there is no way to go. Probably the Australia is the best way to come here, you know. But it's still uh, we have a lot of things to do in Australia. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned that when you first got to Australia that you needed to realize that your mindset had to be Australian. You couldn't live in in the past or live somewhere else while the people that you cared about and had to uh, raise uh, were here and and look after. Do you often think like that in terms of mental well-being? Do you, do you have to keep things close together? You can't, you know, many people talk about the idea of a circle of control and, you know, only being able to control the things that are near you and in arm's length. Do you agree with yeah. that in a, in a way to ensure that your well-being and the well-being of those around you is protected? Do you, do you need to make sure that you don't get too big in your, in your thinking and, you know, worrying about overseas issues or big issues that don't, you can't have control of directly? How do you, how do you manage these things? Well, as I said at the beginning, so it was very hard for me because one part of my life was my mentality was there and then here, you know. But one day I make a decision myself not to be myself selfish with my family, especially with my family, uh, taking away from them something that they have already, like I've been in Australia. So, well, this was a, a big decision because my past is always was a lie into my head, you know. It doesn't mean that I get it rid, you know, but I still have to make it a, a way my situation as my past and to start to live the present and to be concentrated because my two daughters, this is one thinking, and my wife too. So it was a very hard because try to unglue what I was thinking in my mind. It, no, it wasn't easy. So I start every single day, every single day, I put my intention in different way. Like I study here, doing this one and doing another one and try to get rid of this, especially putting away my mentality, selfish mentality that I have from El Salvador. And finally, I think I'm being very proud of myself. I did what I was thinking, you know. I'm still thinking in the past. It doesn't mean, doesn't mean that's getting rid, but I'm still thinking. But in another way, I'm not coming back to the past. So my present here, I live in the present, I go into the future. One of the things is to see my family, my three daughters, to complete high studies in university here, be professional, prepare, prepare for themselves, and give to Australia something that I haven't paid for me back to Australia, you know. This is my debt for 
to Australia because they bring me to me here. And now my dad was, I go, I'm not going to do anything better for me. But I did now, I teach it. But on the other hand, it's my family that has to continue with this, it's my family history, you know. So I was very happy, you know. All I did was with my family and the result is there. Yes, that's what I say, you know. Oh, honestly, my family has the reward, you know, where everything I've done it. Uh, we did. And it's a beautiful way of putting it. Not only Australia bringing you in to protect you and, and to save you from a situation, but then you're actually giving back and Australia is what rewarded. It's not a one-way system. You know, this idea of giving, usually it comes back in Come life. Back, yeah. And, yeah. and people need to remember that, that, you know, the idea of welfare or foreign aid or refugee status, it's actually beneficial in the long run for Australians, even in the short term, because there's lots of vibrancy and greatness that comes. But if you have to put up with a little bit of teething issues when you open the borders to a, to a new people, especially if it's war-torn people or people with trauma, there's going to have trauma, to be yeah. some support there to protect these human beings, which you've mentioned a lot tonight, that we're not, it's, we're not defined by our borders and where we happen to be born, but we should be defined by our humanity and the common humanity. As Australians, we are in a privileged position living in the, one of the richest countries on earth, you know, with yeah. no war. And it's up to us to make sure that humanity is supported yes. as best as it can. And we can do that. And we're actually going to be better off for it. So I love the way that you put that with your own personal experience and the way that you oh, framed oh, it thank you. with your daughters being able to give back. Yeah. But you yourself, as you said, um, giving back as well. But the fact is your aim was to ensure that they are giving back and paying off that debt in a way that you did. Yeah, I'm sure you've done that tenfolds over, you know? <laughs> Easy. Yeah. So in terms of your life and the way that you get by, does spirituality and religion play a part in your life and, and your happiness and your freedom and the way that you look at the world? Yes. Uh, my To say this, I'm not a very religious person, but I still believe in God, you know? Since I was a teenager, you know, I used to go to the special, there's no special group, I call it special group because we have special things to do, you know. Um, we used to go to the Gnostic group. Uh, I don't know if you have heard something about the Gnostic group. It's a Gnostic group that is running around the world. We had in El Salvador and then we came to Australia. I found the Gnostic group running by Salvadorians in Western Australia and also now it's spread out. We have a pretty good uh, Australian people, you know, attending the group. So in terms of support, this group is gave me, you know, it's, it's still giving me, you know, the way of thinking, the way to be the lives in different, in different perspective, you know, because the Gnostic group is not like a religion's it's more like uh, working hard in psychological psychological mind, what we have. So that's it has to be supporting me a lot, you know, what I learned before and I'm still learning. And then one of the things we are learning in Gnostic group is meditations. So meditations is a good weapon. So I telling you it's a good therapy. Maybe you already know something about meditation, but this is the only way probably besides to get some 
natural medicine or the normal medicine by prescribing by the doctor. But meditation is giving us, you know, one of the mentality piece, you know, inside. Instead of going outside, we're going to go inside and looking at us inside uh, and making good resolution inside, you know, what I'm going to do. And then meditation is like uh, giving us force inside to continue the normal life. But at the end, the Gnostic philosophy is gave me the good support, you know, to put up with, with all the problems that I had before, you know, and it's still going, but not much as happened before, you know. But I, I'm telling you, I know a good religion, but I still believe in God. But it's to believe in God. We don't believe in God as a person. We believe in God as a spirit inside, in us. Because everybody has one part of the God inside. That's the one thing we need to deal or we have to see people not as a human being. We have to see the people as a essence. The essence that is inside every single person is part of the God. That's my point of view. I like to go beyond, you know, just not just believe to believe, just to put in practice what I haven't learned, you know. There's, the Gnostic group has helped me a lot. Well, so the Gnostic group, are, a, a, are they, is it a Christian organization uh, as a base? Is that right? Or is it is it separate to that? Well, uh, it's a Christian. Yeah. It's a Christian, but the, it is called the, um, the Christian, the, the old Christian, you know, values. But what happened now, it's very sad to say, but religions is more like a business today, you know. You can mm. see religions is business, uh, making this one, and not very sincere themselves. We have big problems so far around the world, you know. You can see in America, Latin American country, the rich persons are the, the leader of the Christian group, you know. So I don't like to talk with this one because I don't want to, you know, to point, you know, this, this was. But in terms, in general, I think the vision of the Christian has to be in a different way, you know. So we believe in, we are Christian because we believe in God first, we believe in Jesus Christ, we believe in all the things that the old uh, Christianity start to founding in those days. If I see more deeply in this Christianity, so probably going to be a big problem talking about politics, you know, but I don't want to talk about politics because most of the Christian group, they have a more like a Christian politics, you know, view, and then that's the problem, you know. So it's a pity, but in terms in general, you know, so we believe in God, so that's the Christianity, you know, yeah. Yeah, because I know that a lot of Christianity is maybe more closed off to that idea of the essence inside of us and the meditation maybe, and, and this is actually meditation. opening up to that, opening yes. up to the idea of finding truth within yourself and the way you think and through what we know as consciousness now. But like, you know, even Eastern, Eastern like philosophy, Buddhism and Hinduism like to think of that essence as like in, in other ways, you know, whether it's... um if you look in the religious context in, in a more religious spiritual way, but many That's people crazy. today are using the secular in a secular way. And, and I'm, secular, I'm part yeah. of this, you know, to use those philosophies and that practice 
but actually take the the benefits of it without necessarily believing in the the, the, the supernatural, perhaps. So that's, for me, it's, right. it's yeah. um, extremely powerful and it actually brings you close to nature, to yourself, to yeah. the world by actually almost limiting your um, your own mind and the way it works. You're just sensing things as they come and go rather than reacting to everything all the time, which yeah. is what we do too yeah. often. Exactly, yeah. No, this is good, the, the good, good thing, you know. So the world is facing... A big problem now, as you know, the COVID nineteen, and so we need to just we need to see the world in another view. You know, it's not like I used to do it before. For me, it's a bit a good time, you know, to be at home these three weeks and to reflect myself. You know, what I have done so far, what I have to do next. You know, I'm not the person now who are going to greeting for material things. So because it's go for the material way, looking, being greedy for money, for this one, to have this one, to have this one. So we are forgetting something inside, inside the soul, you know. So this is what I believe, you know, inside the soul, which means we need to see inside and then try to see or to have a new idea what is going to do in the future, you know. Because the work we are facing now is not the way they are acceptable, you know. We need to, to do a lot of things, you know. You can see now the this COVID-19 decide to be a big problem, have been unblocked to many things with how we can care ourselves, you know, in the community. So in Western Australia, I haven't seen... So many community groups have been running pretty good and then doing a lot of things for people, you know, especially for those who have been disadvantaged, you know, in our community. In El Salvador, it is quite the same, you know. So they are looking after themselves, try to help each other, and then knowing who is not doing anything right, especially with politicians, you know. <laughs> it's terrible in El Salvador with politicians, but... Yes, for me, it has been a good experience. I'm still going, you know, try to find to do the right things. Yeah. Are you a, would you call yourself an optimist or a pessimist or somewhere in between at the moment? How do you see the world? I mean, you've lived almost 60 years now and you've been in two parts of the world that are very different and you've seen things and you've experienced things firsthand. You've gone and, and, you know, you've experienced the love of people yeah, as well as the yeah, hate yeah, of yeah. people. So what, do you, what would you describe yourself as? I feel very optimistic, you know. I never stop, you know. In my normal life, you know, I feel like an athletic person. So going to decide to work, you know, I never forget, you know, doing practice, my soccer skills, uh, doing a lot of activity, physical activities at home. Uh, intellectual reading. I never say stop, you know. I feel like a young man, uh, always. For me, I feel like a young man, you know, optimistic. So there's one that happens when I see someone praying and say, oh, what the life is boring. And you say, don't see the life boring. If you see the life boring, probably inside yourself is something that doesn't go well, you know. You feel peace inside. You are not allowed to see the very boring world, you know. So that's the one. It's the mentality what we have. So depending on the mentality, that's the way we are going to see. I'm telling you, 
Sometimes we're going to have very hard situations, but we need to face or challenge the very hard situation by putting in practice what we have learned, you know. So what I'm learning now through the meditation, good practice, good relationship with friends, sooner or later, we're going to be a challenge in my life, probably going to feel depressed, something like that. But I need to use what I haven't learned, what I haven't tried to do it myself, and then put in practice. I never, I never say, never say no. I, ne- I always say yes, yes. I feel very optimistic. I'm more optimistic when I see my family happy, when I'm talking with Luke, when I'm talking with my daughter, when I'm talking with my friend, at work, with my wife. So it's always something to do. But at the end of my life, I say, I'm going to die with the boots on. You know what it means? With the boots on. I'm never going to say, I'm never going to giving up. So for me, life is every single day, I am learning something different, you know. I never stop learning. That's the best way. This is for me the best opportunity that I have with you. So, well, we saw, I saw you last year, we didn't have opportunity to talk, but now you are expressing something that I like to say, you know. It's, it's something for me, it's good. I'm very, very happy to, when you are interviewing me and then express myself, you know. This, this is Rudy, myself. It's not like, a, it's not my mask. It's me, myself, what I'm thinking, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. important. And that's the, the beauty of face-to-face, one-on-one conversation with no time constraints. I mean, we're not going to be here till midnight, but, you know. <laughs> no, it's fine. <laughs> but you talk it's and fine. you talk and... and it's openness and, and the reason I started this podcast Moments of Clarity was for that, to be able to, I love these conversations. I love. But sometimes they, they, you have to force them to happen. And for me, this gives me the opportunity to force these things to happen and I guess have a bit of structure to them, a, a little bit of structure. <laughs> I, I'm sure that there's many people out there with podcasts or journalism that would say, <laughs> no, it's wrong order or whatever, you know, what, what are you doing in the conversation? But for me, it's, a genuine conversation, heartfelt, honest, truthful about whatever whatever we get to. And that's, that's yeah. the beauty of it. So I, I thank you for giving me this opportunity because it's really been eye-opening to hear your story, which, and I guess my one of my best mates, Luke, you're his father-in-law, and that's how we know each yeah, other. So, <laughs> um, he's talked about you often and some little bits of your, your story and journey, but but never the full amount and... I just wanted to to hear from you, and and I knew you had a, a lot to tell and, and a great story to tell. So thank you. Um, oh, thank you. One area that I I haven't touched on, which I'd like to, and and it, you talked about not being an overly religious person now, but is it true that you knew or knew of or, or had a relationship with uh, the probably the most famous El Salvadorian person? This is correct. Oh, this is a good point. Thank you for reminding me. Um, uh, it was part of my life. So just to make a little bit, you know, synthetic, you know, conversations, we knew Monsignor Romero. We knew because my family, my dad was relating to him with part of the family, you know, a little bit uh, not too close, but it was and also close to him. And also Monsignor Romero was from the town where I was living with my grandma and my dad knew him and then 
when I was 12 years old. My dad asking me, is I have the, is I, you want, is you want to know, or to know, yes, to know Monsignor Romero? I said, yes. And then I went to visit, we went to visit Monsignor Romero. And then one of the reasons to visit him was because I wanted to become a priest. So that's one of my idea. Uh, Monsignor Romero, they put me in very good situations by being a, what is called, um, all, the altar boy. Yes, altar boy. And then I used to be in the altar boys. It used to do it every single Sunday. Then with Monsignor Romero, we used to go in the city, around the city with him, um, visiting community. So I think in terms of the Monsignor Romero, this gave me a good experience and the, the one who away me, you know, my, my feeling, my nature, to be more charismatic with people, you know. And that's one of the reasons. And I wanted to become a priest. And Monsignor Romero was part of the, my life too, you know. Um, I still remember him, you know, so many things uh, we shared together, you know. Uh, yes, uh, exactly. You know, it's, it was part of my life. It was Monsignor so Romero. What made him one of the most famous and popular figures in El Salvador? And how did he end up becoming? Was he sainted recently? Is that right? Did he become a saint recently? Uh, yes, recently. Yes, recently he was saint. Yeah, so it was, I think, a couple of years ago. Yeah, so what was uh, the journey for from meeting, knowing you and an altar boy for, for him? to then his journey through life into becoming, well, I guess you've had to have performed three miracles. Is that correct? To be able to, yeah. to get there. That's so, correct. you know, you've met and, and been near someone that's been given that by the Catholic church, that acknowledgement of their profound effect on the world and, and on the church. So what was the, yeah, his journey? Uh, well, the Monsignor Romero have many ways and commitment with Salvadorian, especially when he was Archbishop of San Vicente. San Vicente is one of the little states in El Salvador. And then when he moved on, when he moved, then he went on as an Archbishop in San Salvador. For in that time, everything was right. Monsignor Romero, he started the way he had performed well in, in those days was he had a good friend as a priest in Chalatenango. In Chalatenango is an, a little town too, you know. And then this little, this priest used to be opposite to the government. And then one day he was, he was to move it on from the town to his house. And then he was ambushed by the military and then he was killed. That was the way when Monsignor Romero started to become, you know, more aggressive with his voice, with his, his voice, and then he become more popular by telling the government the way they have to behave. And Monsignor Romero started in San Salvador and then joined to the group, the community, helping the community, and then helping everyone. And then he was more charismatic person. That that's the way, and the, the right wing in those days didn't like the way he was, you know, conducting, you know, his the way to 
to talk, you know, with people. One day he was a uh, kill as well, you know. But Monsignor Romero was a pretty good uh, commitment, you know, with poor, with the poor people. He always say, my, my vision is the poor people because the Bible says the poor people has to gain the kingdom of God. So that is more or less, and this is supported by some of the archbishops in San Salvador. Yes, um, finally, when he was killed, uh, his body was buried, you know, in cathedral in San Salvador. And then performs a lot of miracles, you know. And many people, they believe in him. I believe in him too, you know. He was for me, you know, one of the persons who put me in the right way, you know, by thinking different way and to be aware, you know. Oh, brilliant. Final question for you today, Rudy, which is, do you have a moment of clarity, which is the name of this podcast, something that uh, has come to you during this conversation or recently that has made you think differently or in a more clear manner about life and what it's all about? Oh, well, the last question is the one that I was expecting, you know, because my clarity is I can see the world in a different way. Now is something that has, even with the, all the situation that's happened, you know, but still we have a lot of things to do. Yes, clarify my mentality, you know, that I was thinking in that way, which wasn't wrong, you know, but now I'm doing more, more, I'm doing my, my best all the time. The good time, even for a hard time, but it's a good time for me to be more internal for me. The vision is more like uh, meditate more and find myself, you know, my way. What I say is I want to thank you for this opportunity because when I was listening the first conversation that you had, I can remember is called life, Dancing with... Dance, dancing and dance, Dancing Life with Clara. Dancing yeah. Dancing Life. Honestly, impressed me the conversation that we had, what you had with the girl, you know, because it gave me to say, oh, yes, that's what I'm thinking, you know. That's the way I challenge. I have to challenge myself. This is the way, oh, exactly. It's like a painting myself in the conversation. You know what I mean? So painting myself in the conversation, I say, this is for me, you know. Oh, I like it, this piece, uh, the words. Uh, uh, still, I have read, I wrote on a piece of paper because I haven't, I haven't listened to the whole things, but, it, but I have to repeat the game because I have to renew what I was thinking and to put exactly what, you, you had the conversation we had. They said, life is dancing, you know, everything, dancing, dancing, and dance. We never say, what's what I said at the beginning, never say giving up. I feel optimistic all the time, going up, going up. I need to clarify what is my position from now on, you know. Well, we are going to come back to the school tomorrow. So, but I have a different mentality, a different way. I don't want to be the law uh, as I was uh, four weeks ago, you know. I'm not pretending to say it was bad, but I, I, I try, you know, to see the life in a different way. And the conversation for me, away some point of view that I need to rebuild or do it again, you know. So I'm very, very glad to hear the conversation that you had the first one. Only for me now, I still continue, you know. It clarify my mentality. Even now we are talking with you, so I feel more relaxing 
I feel more valuable, my, valuable myself. I feel like uh, renewing again and then try to bring back something that I miss, not because I didn't knew, because it's like something for I forgot, you know, bring back and putting my table and then, oh, I have to go with that. This is my commitment from now on. I have to focus in this one and continue doing this with this one. I'm not pretending to be a perfect person because no one is perfect, but at least I'm going to be my best. So my best in my life, my words, theirs, but I have to divide my attention, you know, no more, no, to be concentrated, yes, in the work, this is one, and forgetting my life, you know. So my life has to give me a little, a little relaxing time. It's, it's, it's something that I'm looking for inside, you know. So I pre- I'm not pretending to say I knew everything, but what you are talking, this is the way where I have to bring myself and reveal again. And then, oh, I need this part. This is for me. This is for me. So now I clarify my situations and then I will continue. And then this year, at the end of the year, I will continue with three or four points. And then next year, I will to review it again and do it in a different way. So that's my, my, my clarification now. I feel now, I feel like a re, reborn again, you know. It's not like a reborn physical, but here, mentally. This is the way, you know, we have to have a different view, the light, you know. It's not like, a, I don't want to be a pessimist, say, oh, this COVID is going to kill us. I don't think so. They're going to kill us. If it kills us, that's fine. You know, what can I do? But I'm, I'm going to do this one while my life is is here, you know. So I will do my best till the end. So that's the my point of view, you know. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for that. That was, yeah, oh, thank great. You and, and thank you for uh, listening and also, uh, yeah, sharing the way that it made you feel because it's great to hear some feedback and to, to realise that you're having that effect because oftentimes you have a conversation with someone and it's sometimes you feel it's your story or just for you or whatever, but everyone's connecting with experiences and putting, as you said, yourself as an actor in in the story and that's what makes the story good or, or a situation yeah. or a conversation good is when someone can put themselves there or a situation they've been in and, and say, oh, I think I need to reevaluate the way I think or what I do. So, and I, and I think, as you said, it starts with clarifying your values, then trying to work to align yourself to make your life work towards those values. And then you can sort of be make better informed and, and happier choices. Exactly. And that idea of being reborn, reborn. Yeah is an amazing one and the fact is that's to ha- for that to happen throughout life and and for it to continue to happen that we're never stagnant that we're always growing and becoming better thank you for you because you are doing a, you are doing a good program you know so i didn't realize i haven't heard anything before you know every single time when i listen in you know a different chapter this different episode I say, oh, I like this conversation. You know? So last night was trying to sleep and listening, and suddenly my sleep overcame me, and then on the spot, you know. But anyway, so I, I asking you to keep going with this. Um, I am the first one stay with you, a good listener. I always support to you. I appreciate that. Thank you so much, and thanks for joining me on. Um, oh, thank on you to you. Clarity. Okay, thank you for the opportunity.
If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family, and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback, or have access to someone you believe could be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast, or on Twitter at BarneyMOC. You can also email me on Moments of Clarity Podcast at gmail.com. My name is Barney, and thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.